Hi, this is Marv Wolfman, and you're listening to the All-Star Superfan Podcast. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Hey everyone, welcome back to All-Star Superfan, the podcast that delves into the 80-plus year legacy of the Man of Steel. I'm your host, Alan Burke, and joining me again, as always, is the beast from the East himself, Mr. Rob O'Connor. Yours could be an important voice in the new order, Alan. Second only to my own. <laughs> that is quite good. That is that's, that's quite good. Start growing that beard, Rob. <laughs> and the voice that you hear there in the background is tonight's guest and to be honest rob our guest tonight should need no introduction when it comes to anyone involved in the superman fandom over the years as his name has now become synonymous with the christopher reeve era of superman films the founder and editor of capewonder.com the mission of which is to honor and celebrate the christopher reeve legacy and all and honor the filmmakers of the classic superman film series and the co-host of caped wonder superman podcast we are delighted to welcome Mr. Jim Bowers. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much, Alan and Rob. And that, that was really good, Rob. I, I look forward to seeing uh, some movie film of you doing that. Uh, appreciate it very much for you inviting me here. We uh, are having such a great time in the Superman world right now with so much going on. Yes. And uh, there's always something exciting, whether it's Superman comics or Superman movies. As you guys know, you cover the whole thing. And You've uh, you've been doing this a while, and I know one of our friends, Martin Lakin, was on your show. That's right. And he's been on our show, and I've known Martin over 20 years, and what a great guy he is. Yeah, that was a great episode. We we delved deep into the uh, 1984 uh, Helen Slater Supergirl movie, and it, it was a lot of fun. And what, what we really took away from that, Rob, I think, is uh, we kind of went into that kind of thinking, oh, you know, with certain memories of the film, but I really enjoyed watching it again and, and seeing it and being back kind of eight years of age watching Supergirl, you know, and it's, it's you know, flaws and all, it's a magical movie, I, I, I really have to say. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's fair to say it is deeply flawed, but it definitely has its charms. And I think if it... If if you go into it uh, looking for them, that, that that you will find them, and I think that's true of 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 all the Superman movies. Um, you know, Jim, you, you, Alan mentioned Supergirl there. We also discussed Superman four in detail. I'm a huge Superman four fan. Um, for, for warts and all, I, I love everything about it. I, I love the theatrical version. I'm very keen to see the you know the extended 100 and however minute version that if it ever comes out. Uh, Alan, as we all know, is the world's greatest Superman 3 fan. And of course, you know, it goes without saying we absolutely love the the first two. Uh, Any and all version of Superman 2 is fine by me. Uh, I'm a big theatrical fan. Um, And then, of course, the the, the 1978 original is just near and dear to our hearts. I, I always think of Superman the movie as being like not not even quite a movie, but kind of almost like a person in my life that I know. Uh, Jim is nodding here. It's like, how do you, how do, you, do you agree with that? It's, it's not even really a film anymore. Well, I do. And being that it came out when I was 17 years old, it had a huge impression on me. I was a senior in high school. And uh, my brother, whose name is Clark, not after Clark Kent, but after my grandmother's maiden name with an E on the end, 
He's 11 years younger, so I remember us sitting, watching TV for hours just to see the TV spots over and over again for Superman the movie. And this would have been in late 1978. So yes, uh, Superman the movie's been my favorite film since the first time I saw it. That's never changed. There's been a lot of great film and cinema since then, obviously. We've, I grew up at such a great time. You guys are a little younger than I am, but I grew up with Close Encounters. I was 16. Star Wars, I was 15. Uh, those films, and I knew at that, at that time that they were so special. But as the years have gone by, they're just that much more. The traditional yeah. special effects techniques and such great character actors and great uh, storytelling uh, um, and, and of course, John Williams tying it all together for us, Jerry Goldsmith from Star Trek. It's just, uh, it, it, that time for me, I still feel 17 every time I watch the movie again. And I was blessed with the, uh, the opportunity to see it 14 times in the theater. Wow. I always talk about that. And the neat thing about my theater is that they handed out those black brochures with him flying at you in our theater for free. Oh my so as, as when they opened the door, and my theater was very traditional, it had uh, crystal chandeliers, red velour uh, curtains on the walls, red velour seats. As you walked in, they handed it to you. So I have all 14 still. So I call it an event, an experience. Mm. It's more than a film. And real personal for me, especially when Clark says goodbye to Ma Kent. I knew when I sat in that theater and witnessed that, that I was about to do the same thing a few months later. So that scene has always been near and dear to my heart because it was really tough to say goodbye to my mom when I left five months later to go to college. So it's very personal for me. And I had the chance to sit with Jeff East and watch that scene. And he turned to me after that was over and he said, you know, that's almost seems like it's not me anymore. It's yeah. someone else in a, in, in a, in a world that we, we would like to be in, but we can only get a glimpse of, we can only barely touch it, but there it is. And uh, that Andrew Wyeth golden wheat, you, you know, it's just beautiful there. And I've been there and it's, it's as magical good. and as peaceful and as beautiful as you would ever think it would be. So, I remember yeah. I remember when I was leaving to go to the Garda College, which is at the police academy here in Ireland. And I remember going down and saying goodbye to my grandmother and hugging her. And uh, now it's only three hours away. It's, but it was the first time that I had I went to a local uh, city college. Um, and I, I just remember when I was driving, when I was leaving home, uh, that scene just being in my mind of 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 Jeff East um, and and. Uh, and saying goodbye to Mark Kent. And it was just, yeah, it's, it's funny how generational it just touches so many people. 
and it, affects so many people. It really does. And when the camera goes through the wheat, when their mm. back is to you and then and then pans up past them and it blends into the Arctic, it's the just... The music rises. And, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. beautiful editing. and It gets to me every time. It, it, it's never not gotten to me every single time, if I watch it on a small screen or a big screen. So if there's any opportunity to ever see it in the theater, I, I jump on that opportunity because... For me, it never gets old. And it's interesting that when you introduce this film to someone for the first time or you reintroduce it to someone who's not seen it for a long time, 99% of the time the movie ends and they look at you and they go, wow, that was better than I remembered. Or I'd heard about this movie and wow, I can't believe I've never seen it until today. Because it has some, I told Richard Donner this, it has something for everyone. You know, it has the sci-fi, the, the, the other world of Krypton. It has the Andrew Wyeth, uh, uh, the roots of, of family at the farm and Smallville and friends and your whole experience in high school. And then it has that leaving home and, and being out in the big world and trying to figure out who you are and where, where you uh, fit in all of that. Sometimes you feel very clumsy and bumbling and inadequate or whatever. Chris Reeve has always said, we all are Clark Kent's. It's just a matter of what do we do with, with our gifts and what, how, do we, how do we contribute those to the world? And uh, it's, it's a really interesting perspective. I was never a comic book kid. I was a live action animation kid. So I'm the one that loved Adam West. I saw that prime time. I always had my Batman costume on, or I was doing coloring books, or I was doing to- playing with toys. But comic books, I didn't have a comic book shop to go to. So yeah. I took advantage of everything else, and I grew up with George Reeves. I was, I was just going to ask, was, was George Reeves a presence? Was he your initial Superman before Chris Reeves? He was. I was born in 61, and of course by then the show was over. George Reeves had passed away a couple years before. And I remember they would play those episodes in black and white before school. So I watched them on a little tiny black and white TV on a shelf mounted on the wall before school. And I had no idea that some of them were filmed in color because I was watching a black and white television. But that's how I was introduced. And then Adam West came along and I was just bombarded with all these caped heroes. So I I was a little caped nut. I mean, mom would put, take those old fashioned bobby pins, pin the towels on my shirts. They'd be too long. I'd step on them and rip my shirt out on the shoulders, change shirts, start all over again. And then I had constant flying dreams in elementary school. Uh, And what would I do? I'd pull myself, I'd grab the top of trees in my dreams and pull myself to increase momentum and I'd soar, but I'd always follow the sidewalk because I would be afraid I was going to get lost and not know how to get home. (laughs) <laughs> that's very vivid but i you know i haven't had flying dreams in a long time i had them when i was in the army um but it's been probably 20 years since i've had any but i never had the ability to change my speed or trajectory too much i had to rely on pulling on trees because i'd slow down and i'd just be floating above a tree and i go okay and i'd grab a branch and pull myself and take off again but it seemed so real i would land you know, and then once I saw the Chris Reeve movies, my landing changed. My landing was always very, very hard because of George Reeves landing so hard, you know, and then Chris yeah. would come in and then his nice, soft landings that were so graceful. But I, I do, um, I do think back about those flying dream times. I kind of miss them. 
<laughs> so. I used to have a I used to have a similar recurring um, dream where I would fly, but I could I was always maybe five or six feet off the ground. That's as far as I could. I couldn't go higher or faster. It was just kind yeah. of this floating. You, I could never take off in the dream, and that always stuck. I haven't had it in years, but um, that has always always stuck with me. You mentioned there, Jim, that um, you were in the military. I know you were in the military for 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 years. Did Superman? When I joined the police force, um, su- the, the the Superman ideology really pushed me in that direction to be honest and it was a huge influence in me in going that direction was it the same for you when it came to the military or was it a completely separate thing uh no it wasn't separate i mean i i i grew up with very strong uh male role models my grandfather was a general my uncle was also career army my dad career army so i i i grew up around uh, a lot of high-ranking officers uh sometimes senators, congressmen, that sort of thing, because my grandfather lived in Arlington, Virginia. So I was used to being around strong men, and that's, I think, partly why the Superman character appealed to me. He was about telling the truth. He was about doing the right thing because that's what you do. Manners, how you treat the ladies, and uh, etiquette, and all of that kind of thing. So I saw them sort of one and the same, and I, and I knew from history that Superman was the most popular comic book character during World War II and the most read comic book. And, of course, those comics in those days were covering those topics of fighting the war and stopping the enemy from, you know, bombing with their planes or ships and all of that kind of thing, the covers that we know so well from Fred Ray and the other great artists. So it came hand in hand, and a lot of the kids, most of the kids I knew were Army kids. We grew up on Army posts. We, We were very safe. We could go anywhere, ride our bikes anywhere. And we all had these, these kinds of role models, whether they were uh, Superman or whether they were Zorro or Tarzan, all of those kinds of characters we, we uh, enjoyed together. Uh, the girls didn't have as much. And then Wonder Woman, of course, comes along. We all go crazy for Linda Carter. But <laughs> And uh, so to answer your question, I think a lot of military kids and military uh, love the character because of what he represents. And for me, it's not just the flying, it's about how he treats people and how he, yeah. in, and how he inspires people to find that inner strength and to use it as best they can. Not just being a rescuer or a damsel in distress kind of guy, but you know, inspiring people to go for it. What, what's a dream? Go for it. What do I need to do to get to that point where I'm living my dream or doing my best, whether it's a big deal or not? I was also a Boy Scout for 10 years. I, I made it all the way up to Eagle, and, uh, and we read a lot of uh, – we, we exchanged a lot of interest in movies in our Boy Scout troops, so I connected with a lot of movie enthusiasts. Um, Boy Scouts was very you – that know, was very popular in the 70s when I was in. And uh, I was actually a Boy Scout here in Ireland for a couple you? of years, believe it or not, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. I don't know how popular it is now, but yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it's making Jim, a comeback. Can... So that's good. Going back to the sort of the anticipation period of the film, like at what point did you realize that this was going to be something really special or was it not until you were you were sitting there? in the theater for the first time? Well, I'd heard there was going to be a film. Of course, at the time, I, I, I wasn't collecting Variety magazine ads or all of that. I didn't have access to that and didn't know a lot about some of that since I was in high school. 
it was the first TV spot on, on the f- first TV one that, that really got me excited. And, and we know which one that is where yeah. the narrator talks about from the bustling city of Metropolis to the fortress of solitude. Um, it's Superman and he zooms up past the camera. That's the one that got me really fired up. Now I'd seen the teaser where the streaking credits of the actors are going through the clouds. Mm. And that one, um, that, that, that's very vivid to me because it generated so much excitement without showing a single uh, piece of film from the movie itself. And isn't it amazing the power of, of, yeah. of that and how they don't really do that anymore. And you may, be, you may remember seeing a Jaws trailer where they never showed the shark. And Close Encounters, they never showed a ship. And they didn't need to. And I'm so glad they didn't. Because once you got in the theater, the magic was presented to you as it should have been. On the big screen, you know, the big screen experience. It, it's, it's interesting, actually, Jim. Uh, one of the, when you were describing the trailers there, if, if anyone remembers the, um, the first teaser trailer for Man of Steel, which, um, you know, I've mixed feelings on, on the end film itself, but I think that the trailers for Man of Steel are just magnificent. And if anyone remembers that first teaser trailer, it's literally just shots of kind of blades of grass and then, you know, a, a trickling stream. And then all, all these shots that are just supposed to evoke Americana and you're hearing this voiceover, it, it kind of alternates between uh, Jonathan Kent and Jorel, and then that the, there's barely any Superman in it at all until the, the last shot is kind of a very, very distant shot of Superman kind of bursting through the air. Um, but w- when you were describing, I, I know the um, I, I know the spot you're talking about. It's, it's not even footage from the film. It's just footage of clouds and, and you hear a voiceover and then you see the names. Right. And then at the end is a, is a, is a shield. And then it goes mm-hmm. into, uh, you know, the Superman, the movie logo. And that's it. And then a trailer later on that Warner Brothers has never officially released is the simple line drawing trailer. Do you know which one I mean? Where they're, no. they're using a f- unused footage of Jeff East standing in the field with his back to you with the sunrise. It began as a simple lo- line drawing. Oh. Uh, and then it goes into stills of the various actors, shows you stills, and then that's it. That one is actually my favorite trailer. I've got it on 16 film and I've, I've put it on Cape Wonder and it's uh, always gotten a great reaction. I never saw it initially and I don't know why Warner has not released it. I know they found about 12 trailers back in 2000 and I think because of space on the DVD, yeah. uh, they just didn't have enough room to put all of them and some of them were similar to each other. So they put yeah. this TV spot and the more extended trailer on there. I would just like Blu-rays full of trailers. I love this. It's, it's a pity because it's an art form that seems to have kind of lost its impact. I, I, like I remember as a child of the 80s and even into the 90s, the power of, of watching a VHS and, and seeing the, the trailers of upcoming movies and even seeing the posters. Posters seems to be a, a lost art form now as well. Like the beautiful posters of films like that you mentioned earlier, like, uh, you know, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and those kind of uh, fantastic movies, Indiana Jones and, you know, Jaws. Everybody remembers the Jaws poster with the with the shark coming up um, through the water. That it's it's it seems to be something that uh, that that's kind of lost its impact over the last while. I would agree with you. And of course, the father of movie posters, many people consider to be Bob Peake. Hmm. And we all know Bob is doing the Superman uh, 
uh, poster. And look at the power of that without showing anything other than a streak of red, yellow, and blue going through the clouds. And then, of course, all the James Bond and Excalibur and Star Trek. They're just beautiful posters, all painted. And I saw many of those original art pieces in Hollywood in 2011, and you could walk right up to them, and they're even more stunning than the printed versions. And uh, I I felt very um, fortunate to have that opportunity to see that stuff. But you're right, I... Today it's uh, it's Photoshop and it's a lot of heads and you know that's fine but it's not what it was and uh, I I don't yeah. think they're as collectible as they used to be. I have in my uh, media room I've got what's called insert posters. Did you have that in Ireland? An insert poster was a long skinny poster like a sideways landscape wide angle. It's a 14 so. inch by 36 inch. It's called a an insert poster. They don't make them anymore. Uh, the reason for them is uh, many of the small theaters did not have the wall space. Okay. So they were given these skinnier posters to enable them to put four or five up on the wall. Yeah. And so my they're, favorite Superman they're really post- fun. Yeah. My, my favorite Superman posters, I have I have original prints of, of the, the, the very famous Superman, the movie one with the streak, but my favorite one um, has always been the one with Christopher Reeve flying directly towards the three villains. And you have Metropolis in the background and you can kind of see the fire in Metropolis. I love that poster, even though it's clearly three stand-ins for, for Terrence, um, Jack and Sarah. Um, I love that poster. That's a great poster. And if you'll notice, there's no credit on it from the painter. You know, Bob Peake That's always wrote Bob Peake in the yeah. corner. It was actually painted by Bob's son. Wow. His name is Matthew Peake, and he's mainly a sculptor and not a painter. I, I know the family. I know Tom Peake, who is... Uh, the younger son of Bob, and he is the, um, the person who uh, oversees the estate and the paintings and all that. He's been a family friend for a while, and uh, all great people. But he told me um, when he came to our WonderCon reunion in 2015, uh, Tom came, he said, you know, my brother painted that. He's, I said, well, I'm glad that you solved that mystery because I've never <laughs> been able to find any information about who did it, and there's no credit on it. There's no name, you know, from the artist or any of that. He goes, yeah, that's, uh, that's my brother. And he had three people lay on boards oh, at, when he painted the villains. And then the Chris Reeve is, is one of the Hoover Dam promotional pictures. They, and, of course, he just painted him in. But uh-huh. you, if you'll notice, there's a few different versions of that poster, Alan, where the city okay. in the background is different. And the flames are that. different. If you look at, for instance, a Japanese program book, yeah, I believe the the flames are different, and the city uh, buildings are a little different in the background. So there are a few variations, and then there's a British quad uh, poster, and it has just Metropolis cityscape in the daytime instead of a painted on fire city. So I like finding all these different variations. There. You know, if you're a, a completist as far as collecting, then, you, you know, you go after all of that. I, I, I don't know if this was ever intentional, but definitely when I was a kid, I remember thinking that at least in one of the VHS covers I was used to for Superman the movie, he just had one arm forward like this and his other arm at his waist, as he often did. But then 
for the Superman 2 VHS, which was the poster you're describing where he's flying towards the villains, at least that's the one I knew, he had his two arms forward. And I always thought that was supposed to be because this was Superman 2. That I'm sure I'm sure that was never that was never anyone's intention, but that's what that was what was running through my head as a kid. I had never thought about it that way. That's a good point. Great way of thinking about it. You, you wonder what's going through the minds of these marketing and publicity people anyway. That yeah. They have to look through all of their their material and go, what can we do differently to catch your eye? And maybe that's what they did. I mean, again, the TV spot was pretty darn exciting. It looked huge. Mm. It looked so massive, like it was going to be just something no one had ever experienced. I was on that high already, of course, of just having seen uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind had come out in late 77. Of course, we're all on that Star Wars kick at the time. Yeah, uh, that's, I have a Moonraker poster back here, Jim, by the way. Moonraker, 1979. <laughs> I, I actually, yeah. I, I love that film, and I think the John Barry score is exceptional. So even if you're not a fan of the film, if you're a score or soundtrack collector, you must not skip that score. It is beautiful. Rob but going, is, a, is, a, is a giant James Bond fan. Oh, giant James oh, Bond oh fan. yeah. I, I love it. Roger Moore, of course, is who I grew up with. Of course, Sean Connery was in the theater when I was a little kid, but I didn't go to those movies. Hmm. Uh, I really started going. The first film, James Bond film I saw in the theater was Roger Moore's first, Live and Let Die. And I thought it was the coolest because of the Glastron boats. I was majorly into speedboats, and those were all Glastrons. And the, the sale, yeah. by the way, of Glastron boats skyrocketed because of that film. And that jump, from what I understand, Rob, is still a record. Yes, that's right, yeah. And and on the subject of Live and Let Die, that was the first Bond movie uh, Daniel Craig ever saw in the theatre as well. So ah, okay. Yeah, he's a little younger than I am. But uh, getting back to, did I realize Superman was going to be so big? Well, I tell you, once the S-Shields streaked through space at the beginning of the movie, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, this is something <laughs> serious. <laughs> And then we go to the dome and the trial begins. And my brother is six years old sitting next to me. And of course, he's just kind of, you know, his eyes are big. And I'm seeing this trial and I'm like, what is this about? This is, this is unbelievable. This is no fantasy. Um, and, and there, you know, I didn't know Marlon Brando too much other than a few movies, but I knew this was, was, was big. This was significant. And I felt like I, from the very beginning, I was experiencing something really special. And it just kept getting better and better and better. And the whole world went away from me. It disappeared. I was completely absorbed in it. And the credits roll and the big red curtains close and I didn't want to leave. Yeah. yeah. I really did not want to get up. And so I went back and it was... Of course, Christmas time, and I was in Tacoma, Washington, and we got a lot of snow there. The first time I came out of the theater having seen this film, it was starting to snow. So every time we drove back to the theater, almost every time it was snowing again. So I had to drive very slowly because, of course, I'm taking care of my little brother, and I'm in my mom and dad's great big van. And uh, we were going to do anything we could to get back to that theater because we did not know how long it was going to play. And I'm sure you know, movies played a lot longer in theaters back then, but they didn't play yeah. during the day, during the week, of course, you're in school. 
even in the and summer people have to remember people yeah. have to remember that three or six months later this movie wasn't coming out for rent on vhs you, no you weren't going to get to watch it at home that which is it. something that, that a lot of people forget about that's right that once it was gone from the theater it was gone and speaking of that i remember the cardboard box you remember the oversized cardboard yeah. box for the vhs well they had a display version which was much bigger hanging from the ceiling in the um, small movie rental place that I used to go to. And I saw it and it said on sale. So I went to the, the, the gentleman running the, the cash register. I said, can I order that? Because they had no copies. He said, sure, let me look it up for you. And he looked it up and he said, that'll be $99. <laughs> I said, what? I said, no, thanks. So I didn't buy it. So I waited to rent it. But, you know, I actually saw it first on HBO before I rented it. Was that, was that, the, was that the multi-day version, the, the three-hour version? No, this was just the, um, let me back up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I actually saw the extended cut that ABC television showed. That was February 7th and 8th, 1982 in this country. I'm not sure when it showed there. But I was in college, and I didn't have a TV or a VCR. I was in a, 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 an army college, and so we lived in army barracks. We didn't have TVs and all of that. So I went to the student center where they had big overstuffed chairs, like big living rooms with TVs. But you had to get there early if you were going to watch your program. Otherwise, someone else was there watching. So I, I got there like two hours early, and I invited my friends to come. I want you to see a movie I really like. And so it starts playing, and I didn't know it had extra scenes. My friends thought I was losing my mind. I was jumping out of the seat. All these extra scenes were happening, and I knew exactly where they were. Even though I had only yeah. seen the movie in the theater, I had it locked in my brain. That's the first time I saw it outside the theater. And then it was HBO, which is, uh, that was a theatrical cut, which I saw in, in uh, I guess it was, maybe I saw that before, 81 maybe, so... It was either the extended cut or HBO that I saw at first, but seeing it in pan and scan, we didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's and all the, you. That's all you got. The, the the extra scenes are are we talking the the gauntlet and and Lex Luthor's uh, lovelies or whatever they're called the the beasts. Oh was oh yeah else? oh yeah it was the it was the 182 minute version ABC. Mm. Uh, showed a 182 minute version later on. KCOP television in LA in 1994 showed the 188 minute version. And that's what we have on Blu-ray now from Warner archive. I love that version. It's, it's way too long. And, and no one, no one who is new to the movie is going to love it after watching that version. But I, I love that version. When a film is out for that length of time <laughs> and then you, you, you're gifted with extra yeah. scenes, it doesn't matter that, you know, obviously like an editor has a purpose and a job to do and tighten it up, but it's just a gift. It's just a gift to get anything extra. It's, it's remarkable. And I was astonished how much extra footage there was. And that uh, is just confirmation that I always knew that Donner had shot a lot of film, but that was confirmation that this was such an experimental time, really. The Donner years were very experimental. They were, according to production notes that I have, they had intentions on doing certain things and they ended up not doing them at all or doing them very differently. But he was always encouraging the British crew to, to, to do better try it again, yeah. try a different way. He was always very positive and encouraging, but if he didn't like something, he said, that's not working. 
Let's do it again. Yeah. Let's figure out some other way to do it. So that's why I think partly they just wanted to try different things. Some things work better than others, but it, you're right. It, it, it really is a gift. And I can't think of another movie that's got so many extended scenes. What, what I wanted to mention, Jim, just when you were talking about uh, the, the additional scenes, there's a moment in that. Well, there's a, there's a few moments, actually. But one of the ones that springs to mind is straight after Clark has caught the bullet and, you know, he's looking at it and he stands up and they have the little exchange about uh, the contents of Lois's purse and then they, they, they push off or whatever. I never realized that originally that was supposed to, that the shot was going to continue and pan over to Otis. And that that's one of my favorite things about that uh, extended three-hour cut is that literally the, 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 the scene just continues. It doesn't cut away to Otis. It, it's literally just one long continuous shot and they do this wonderful whole sequence where it's just Armis and Harry um, tailing Otis. And it's, like, it's almost like something out of the French Connection. It just goes on for for ages but it creates this sense of tension and it makes you feel like you're actually in the city um i i can totally tell why they cut it down but it, it was just such a fascinating thing to watch i, I really like that bit and then obviously the the, the bit everybody loves and and i kind of wish was still in the movie where christopher reeve kind of dips down and sort of wave now, he doesn't wave at the cameras but he sort of smiles to the camera and the the cameraman like is down on the ground going, oh my God, I got it. I love that bit. That's my favorite extended segment is that piece. Yeah, definitely. And uh, obviously we love the gauntlet because it's just so cool, fire, bullets, ice, all of that. But that that's my favorite. There's a great close shot of Chris smiling. Going back yeah. to that Otis scene where he, uh, the taxi drives away and he walks down the street. If you watch that scene, there are two people that walk in front of the camera while Ned Beatty is in the middle of the street. One walks from left to right. The other guy walks right to left and they're out of focus because they're so close to the camera. Well, that's Richard Donner and assistant director, David Tomlin. Ah. And we know that Donner loves to be in his movies sometimes, but watch it and you'll be able to tell, especially that it's Dick Donner walking in front of the camera. So he loved to do that. I, I, I just want to fast forward a little bit, um, Jim, because there's something I, I just really want to ask you about. And that was... Uh, you were in attendance at the only Comic Con that, or the only the only Comic Con style um, appearance that Christopher Reeve um, made at, at Dixie Trek in in nineteen ninety four, I believe it was. Um, I was want, I've always wanted to know what that was like being there for that for that for that um, appearance. Well, it was extraordinary, Alan, and I was in total disbelief that it was happening. I happened to be living in Atlanta. I lived there fourteen years. I was in the photography sales business at the time. I was there in the 80s and 90s. And uh, I got to know a number of the comic book shop owners just because I'd like to breeze through and get to know people. And uh, there were some wonderful comic book shops in Atlanta at that time. And one of them uh, told me about this event. I'd never even been to this Dixie Trek convention before. In fact, I'd only been uh, to one other convention prior to that, and it was called the Atlanta Fantasy Fair. So we had a lot of great pop culture, a lot of uh, record shows. Atlanta was great for that. So anyway, I'd heard about this um, this event and that uh, Chris Reeve was going to be in, uh, invited along with Noelle Neal. And uh, Noelle Neal's a great gal. She, uh, of course, was Lois Lane in The Adventures yeah. of Superman. And she makes a cameo in Superman the movie. And on the train. 
Yeah. Uh, so I got to, uh, I finally got in contact with the organizer of Dixie Trek named Ron Nastrum. And I said, are you really having Chris Reeve come to this? He said, oh yes. He called me at home and said, I'll be there. I said, you're kidding. He says, no. And I knew Chris had not done conventions. So I said, if there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know. Well, eventually one thing led to another and he brought me on as one of the team. So uh, he said, we've arranged for Chris to come into this small hotel. And it was one of the older small hotels in Atlanta at the time. And he said, we're going to have Chris come in through the back door and he's going to sign autographs for us as the organizers before he goes out and meets the public. And believe it or not, there were only about 600 people at this event. It was very wow. small. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to go get him at the airport. He was initially going to fly his own plane, and then he decided not to. So can you imagine him walking through the Atlanta airport to get in someone's car? You wonder how many times he got recognized or got stopped. And he was, I'm sure, used to it, having been a guy from New York City who was recognized yeah. on the streets every day. But here he came. And the back door of the, uh, the hotel con convention room opens, and there he is. And I'm the guy who greets him. Of course, his hand swallowed up my hand. <laughs> and I said, hey, hi, Chris. It's very nice to meet you. Welcome to Dixie Trek. And he was very, very uh, gracious and very friendly, kind of quiet at first. And he already knew that we were there uh, to brief him. And he was going, he sat down at a table and immediately got going with, signing the things that we had there for him. And I gave him a picture of his audition costume that he was wearing. And he looked at that and he went, I've never seen that before. It hardly even looks like me. And so he'd never seen it. And I, I've always been one who likes to give gifts to celebrities. If I have something yeah. I can give them instead of just buying an autograph or getting one. So I, I felt good about giving him that and he appreciated it and signed it. Everything that we I uh, asked him to, and we took photographs, and um, it was very interesting, guys, to watch him prepare to go out on stage, because he had made the decision to host his own Q&A instead of someone hosting it for him. So Noelle Neal was already out on the stage, and she had been doing skits using scripts from her Adventures of Superman TV series, where she'd bring people up, and she did this for years in colleges, too, That's college amazing. tours. So she was done with that, and she said, now the moment I know you've all been waiting for, Chris Reeve, Superman. And I watched Chris. He kind of went over into the corner after we had signed. He had signed and taken pictures, and he was by himself, and he had his hands in his pockets, and he was kind of slouched a little bit like Clark Kent. And I could tell he was deep in thought, and I didn't dare say a word to him. And then I realized what he was doing. He was doing what he probably did in theater. Since theater was his first love, he was preparing to turn on and be the showman. Yeah. And as soon as she announced his name, his hands came out of his pocket. He thrust his shoulders back and stood up straight, broad shoulders. Boy, did he have broad shoulders. And he lit up and boom, there he was. He came out on stage and everyone stood up and I already had a video camera on a tripod ready to go. I was in the camera and video sales business. So I had access to all this camera gear and video and I've already got it recording and I recorded the whole thing. You guys may have seen it and I've I broke, I broke it yeah. up. I broke it up into three or four segments and then I set it up next to his autograph table 
And uh, the interesting thing about all of this is he only had a few hours because he had to go to New Mexico to film uh, Speechless with Gina. I was Day- just going to ask that. Was it before or after? Because I watched yeah. Speechless recently. That's, it, that's it, he was on his way to New Mexico to film with Michael Keaton and Gina Davis. Of course, the joke on that set the whole time was, here's Batman and Superman. And they oh, knew that was going to happen. So here we are. It's about time to do autographs. And they wanted to put the autograph table up on the stage, have people get in line, walk up when it was time to the stage, get their autographs, whatever else that they do, and then walk down the other flight of stairs. And Chris said, I don't know if I like that. I think it's too dangerous. People might trip on the stairs and hurt themselves. Why don't we bring the table down to the floor, turn it sideways, because I don't want it to be a barrier between me and the fan. That way I can stand up and take pictures and not, I'm not on the other side of the table, making it more accessible. So watching those videos, you can see the table's actually sideways. And you walk right up to him and he says, where would you like me to sign this? Or if he hadn't seen the item before, he'd go, wow, I've never seen this. Tell me more about it. So he was very engaged and tried to have as much conversation as he could with everybody. But, of course, he was on a very limited time schedule. So, as you saw, he took tons of pictures. I took some pictures of Noel and Chris. And next thing I know, he's flying out the door because he's got to go. But he looked at me, and he looked at, the, at the, the line of people going out of the room, and he said, are all those people waiting for me? I said, yes, they are. He said, well, I'm not leaving till I speak to everyone. Wow. wow. That, that was incredible. <clears throat> and, and one other thing I have to tell you is uh, he – kept sitting on the edge of his chair. He wouldn't sit back and relax in his chair, and it was rather hot in there. I said, Chris, you want another chair? He goes, no, it's not the chair, it's my back. I said, well, what's the matter with your back? He said, I have a herniated disc from all the flying. Oh, wow. He looked at me and he went, I was a very gung-ho 24-year-old. <laughs> I said, I could tell. And he said, yeah, the wire flying did me in. And uh, so he, his back hurt a lot. And a lady heard him say that, and she walked up to him and said, I had the same problem. I got an operation. You should do the same thing. He says, yeah, I put it off. I, want, I haven't wanted to be laid up. And then a year later, of course, he had his accident. Um, the experience, it still hits me rather frequently that, of course, at the time, we had no idea just how significant that day was because we had no idea what would be happening to him and that it would his, be his own con- only convention. Now, there was a, one other convention later that year in October of 94. He um, was very much a big supporter of the International Network of Somewhere in Time Enthusiasts. Yes. And I'm part of that group, and we're the ones who got his star on the Walk of Fame. Which This is the, this, this is the film he was in with... Um Jane Seymour in the early 80s. 1981, is that right? 1980. Mackinac Island. And I, I have a, because it's because of you, Jim, um, I remember that I have a, a signed uh, Mackinac Island travel brochure signed by Christopher Reeve um, that I got your, you so kindly gave me some advice on. Oh, I wanted right. To know if That's it was, right. If it, was gen, if it was genuine or not. And I, I got that. So I have to thank you for that because that is, that is my most prized, uh, my, my most prized uh, collection piece at the moment. Well, you've got a real prize. That was one of his favorite films. Uh, his mm. first love, I, I believe, was really theater. But mm. obviously he yeah. liked making movies as well. But that was a fantastic experience for him and for Jane. Jane's a real sweetheart. 
And so Superman raps under Donner, and then he went to Mackinac Island and filmed in the summer of 79. And he was taking his sweet time to get back to Pinewood, and Ilya Salkine said, you got to get back here. We got to finish two. So then he went right from Mackinac Island to London and back to finish two. And, and that was his busy schedule at the time. Somewhere in Time did nothing in the theater, but it exploded on VHS tape. Lovely, sentimental it's, film. It's a nice movie. Just yeah. a lovely, lovely film. I only saw it for the first time around the time that I, 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 I bought that um, travel brochure, that, that Christopher Reeve autograph. And I, I sat down, I ordered it, and I sat down on, on DVD and watched it. And it was just a lovely film. Yeah, it really is. And uh, he, he only got to go to one uh, Somewhere in Time fan club convention and, and it's annually at Mackinac Island they take up the whole Grand Hotel and it's every October so he and Dana Reeve both went to the October 94 uh, somewhere in time event and that's it those are the really the only two conventions if you will okay. that, that he ever did just in terms of the chronology Jim and I'm sure apologies for my ignorance I'm sure this is well documented but in terms of the chronology of the saw coins and the Superman you know, at, at one point, they, the Sawkins regained the rights, if I'm not mistaken, and Elia Sawkind and Carrie Bates wrote a script, and there's footage of Christopher Reeve saying that he was interested in coming back. By the time we get to Dixie Trek, we're talking 1994, he is getting that little bit older. Like, do you remember, did that come up? Was there talk of him still reprising the role, or had he closed the book at that point? No, there was talk, and... Um... If you have a chance to very carefully listen to his Q&A at Dixie Trek, it's a little hard to understand. He says, you know, guys, you've heard in the media and in the news that I've hung up my cape. And after Superman 3, I really had my mind on other projects. And then 4 came along where I had an opportunity to be part of the story, so I went for it. He said, I'm going to tell you right here and now that if another script as brilliant as what was given to me during the Donner years comes along again, I will be the first one in line to sign up. But I don't okay. know that another script will come along like that one did. He said, and there's got to be a compelling reason to do it again. Now, in 1994, uh, he had already read the Superman, the new movie script. I think that's the one I've read. Right. The one with Brainiac. The one with Brainiac, which I thought was brilliant. I think it's good, yeah. And, and he said he went to lunch with Ilya Salkine in New York and he got a copy of the script. They talked about it. He made a bunch of notes in the script, sent it back and never heard another word. Oh, now, there Jesus. were rumors going around around 1992 that they were considering replacing him and or using Gerard Christopher, Superboy, and or having Christopher Reeve direct it. And I got by, very excited about the whole directing part. I didn't want him directing yeah. another actor. I wanted him to direct himself. Yeah. So I got really nervous. You know, you're just reading about it in various magazines. Of course, it's way pre-internet. And anything I could gobble up about another movie, uh, I was all for it. But that, that's what was floating around, replacing mm -hmm. him and then not replacing him and having him direct. But then nothing came out of it. With, with with the greatest respect to Gerard Christopher and the Superboy show, of which I am a fan and an apologist, I I 
find that so hard to believe that they were ever seriously considering that. I just don't know that that was ever going to happen. No, I, I, I don't either, but I think they had no one else in mind at the time. Gerard's a great guy. I've known Gerard a long time, and he is very much a big fan like we are, on yeah. top of having been able to play him as a young guy. A big George Reeves fan, loves Chris. In fact, I had the opportunity to introduce Gerard to Chris. And this was at the star <laughs> ceremony. We had a little party after the star ceremony. This is April. I've seen the photos, actually. Yes, yeah. yes. And he's, I invited him. And I invited uh, Yvonne Blake, costume designer. She was living in Santa Monica at the time, and she hadn't seen Chris since the rap. And so they both came. And I said, Gerard, do you want me to introduce you? He's like, what? I said, come on to the party. So I introduced him, and he's <laughs> slack-jawed, you know. He's like, uh. uh but that, that was great. And Yvonne, uh, she's, she was absolutely in love with Chris. So was her daughter. <laughs> Jim, I, we'd, I'd be, we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that, um, obviously, this is a big month and a big year for you uh, and Cape Wonder. It's your 20th anniversary. So we just want to say congratulations and, and, and happy 20th birthday to Cape Wonder. Um, how did that come about originally, uh, Jim? How, how, how did you decide to start Cape Wonder in the first place? Well, Jay Towers and I were just talking about that the other day. It's really fun to reminisce about all of this. And uh, when I've told my wife this story the first time, she's, she was part of it, really. Um, you know, 1994 happens, Dixie Trek. 1997 happens, Chris's star ceremony. A lot of fun. That, that, that's at the point where I started conversing with him and exchanging things. And I used to send him photography and we always had a good time with that. And in the late nineties, backing up a little bit, 1994, I made my own VHS tape of the extended cut of Superman. I did it on a Panasonic super VHS editor because I was a, a tape editor at the time. And I sent yeah. it to Richard Donner's office. I never heard a word and I didn't expect to. So 1997, right after the star ceremony, uh, one of my contacts tells me that Pinewood Studios in England wants to start cleaning house. And they had all of these big metal uh, containers, storage containers that they were going through. And they found a bunch of Superman production material and they're going to throw it away. That was my understanding. And my contact said, um, I'm going to save it and I want to sell it. And it took me a couple of months to convince him I was the guy he wanted to sell it to. And it worked out after about three months of negotiating. I think it was about three months. This is 97, 98. And uh, he started sending me pictures of what he had. And this was production notes from Elaine Shrelick, the continuity um, supervisor. And you've seen her in some of my behind-the-scenes pictures. She's the lady with the glasses and the binders standing yeah. right off camera. One of the best in the business. Anybody will tell you that. She's still around. I think she's about 87 now. Um, her notes were in there. Her continuity Polaroids, contact sheets, 8 by 10 prints. And there were a couple of newspapers in there. And one of them was the Caped Wonder Stun City newspaper. And there's two different versions of that paper, but this was the version that was in the movie. Um, and so I negotiated a, a deal, and I said, if you'll throw in that Cape Wonder newspaper, you got a deal. 
So we worked it out, and he expedited a box from England to me in Atlanta, and it got lost. Oh. And I wasn't. I didn't sleep for about three days. Oh. So I had to start calling New York City, where it was supposed to come into the U.S., and I had a tracking number. Nobody knew where it was, not a soul. Nobody in England, nobody in the U.S., and nobody at any of the stops. Again, this is pre-internet. And I'm a guy that if I'm on a mission, I'm going to be making a lot of calls and getting a lot of names and being a squeaky wheel, I call it. We're going to, we're going to find this thing. Couldn't find it. So I went to lunch one day, and I wanted it delivered to my business, not to my home. Yeah. I went to lunch one day and came back, and there it was sitting in my cubicle. This gigantic box. It just mysteriously showed up about three weeks later. So my heart stopped pounding real hard in my chest and I open this box and my jaw <laughs> falls on the floor and I start going through this stuff and all kinds of answers started appearing. What I call the Superman movie mysteries. And there's still many of them mm. on yeah. what was filmed, what wasn't filmed. We'd heard that there was some stuff Donner had filmed for two. We didn't know exactly what it was. And I just, uh, I just dove into this stuff. And being a photographer and an archivist, I was in heaven. And I yeah. just told my boss, can I go home? I'm not going to be any good to you the rest of the day. He says, <laughs> I, know what, I know what you were waiting for. Go home. So I did. Amazing. I was a marketing guy for him, and I went home. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, and that newspaper, I decided to frame, Rob. And I put it up on my wall. I got a new graphic designer who was working for me, and I knew he knew all about websites, and I didn't know a thing. Now, this is the early 2000s, late 90s. And I said, Jim, his name was Jim as well, and I said, I want to start a website because I feel very compelled to share this product, this material. I want to connect with people and share what I have because I'm just bursting. I just want to, I just, I'm about to explode wanting to share what I've learned just through photography. And I've told yeah. people what I've learned so much about the production has been purely from studying the photographs, let alone anything else that's in writing. So one day I said to myself, okay, I'm going to start this website, but what am I going to call it? He said, the key is you've got to buy the domain name and it's yours as long as you, know, you want to keep it. It's got to be really catchy and short. So I looked up at the paper one day and it about boiled me over. I went, there's the name right there capedwonder.com fantastic name and i bought the domain name and i the very first picture i ever put on the website it said coming soon the very first photo i ever revealed was the one of him looking up after he drills through the street do you know the one yeah yeah he looks up and that one was shot by frank connor and i was so struck by that photo it was such a powerful photo and i couldn't figure out why they never used it in publicity. And I keep asking myself that today when I look at all of these marvelous photos that they had to weed through. I tell you what, these set photographers shot a lot of photographs and we are very blessed because of that. Uh, not only Bob Penn, the main set photographer, but there were many others who I acknowledge on the site, but we're very fortunate that they did because it's opened up a lot. It's, it's answered a lot of questions. So that's the photo I launched, and then I had to decide, well, what day am I going to launch it? So I decided to launch it on March 28th because that's the day in 77 that Superman yeah. began filming. 
So we just had our 45th anniversary of the first day of filming, which of course involved Marlon Brando, draped in black, giving his speech to Kal-El, and uh, the 20th anniversary of Cape Wonder. Of course, I had no idea where this thing was going to go. And I remember at that point, I had never gotten an email from anyone outside of the United States. And I got an email from England, and I, it was just, I was just floored. Yeah. I was amazed. Ah, oh, it's begun. People are... People like what I'm posting, and they're seeing what I'm doing, and I just it just took off from there. Well, ju- just just to give you a, a sense of the the timeline of all this, Jim, uh, I I really became kind of online in sort of 2003, 2004. I was on forums and I was on websites and all these different things. And I remember there was a couple of key Superman sites at the time. There was one called Superman5.com that was all about, you know, are they going to make a new movie? And there was all the rumors and things. And then there was bluetights.net obviously the superman homepage and i distinctly remember capedwonder.com and this was in the days this was in the days where you weren't online all the time so what i would do is i'd go onto all these websites and i'd right click and save as all the all the images just because you know you didn't know when because i was 14 at the time and i i didn't know when the next time i'd be able to go online was because we were still on dial up and in those days if you're on dial up it meant that you know, if you were on the internet, no one else could use the phone. So I was only allowed to use the internet after my dad had come home from work and had had his cup of tea and all this kind of stuff. So in the meantime, to keep myself occupied, I'd right click and save as all these photos. And I distinctly remember saving a load of your photos from Cape Wonder. So so thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. And uh, do you remember Superman Cinema? I do Superman Cinema. Yeah, we were talking about it with Oliver Harper actually recently. I, I was on that one as well. That 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 was where I um, found the the uh, Superman the new movie script, the Carrie Bates Elias Sawkind one. I think that's where they uploaded that one eventually. And 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 so some of the the early images that eventually ended up in the Donner Cut, I first saw those there as well. Right. I got to know Darmish, who ran that site, and um, when I sent him those Superman two Donner images. That's when the the whole subject of the Donner cut and what was actually shot just took off. Yeah, and that was very exciting because people had speculated for so long they didn't know what percentage he shot, and he did. They, they thought that he shot certain things, but they weren't sure. So, for instance, when Superman is standing on the flagpole, uh, you ever heard of freedom of the press? And uh, yeah. and and then the, the big deal for me was the fact that all of these other little actors were hired to play Clark Kent, not just Aaron and Jeff. And I'm looking at these photos, going, "Well, where's all the movie footage for that? It wasn't in the extended mm-hmm. cut. It's nowhere." But here's all these pictures of them doing these great feats, like picking up anvils. Mm-hmm. You know, picking. Like, do you mean Jim? Sorry, just to because I, I, I do you mean like there was different actors cast to play him at different stages of his of his adolescence? Is it? Yes, yes. There were there, there were um, there was Aaron Smolensky at three years old, Travis Smolensky two years older. There were two other little boys around Aaron's age, and then there was a nine year old, and the nine year old to me really looks like Christopher Reeve. And I'm looking at these photos, and I got them from Pinewood, of them doing all these different things. They're pulling wagons full of hay. They're picking up anvils. Um, Ma Kent and Pa Kent are teaching uh, or helping Aaron with advanced calculus. He's got a book open (laughs) doing calculus at three. And doing all of these other things. And I'm, 
like, wow, they shot all this footage. And I come to find out that that was not the case. They never shot movie footage of the other actors. They only shot still photos. And then I figured out what it was for. It was for a photo montage. If you go watch Richard Donner's The Omen, there is a photo montage to show a progression in the little boy's age. Yes. And then he's okay. older and they keep going with the film. Their intention with Superman was to do the same thing. Show a mo- mo- uh, photo montage of Aaron until Jeff. Show him mm-hmm. doing different things around the farm. And that's why we're really lucky that we have photos of Aaron actually in bib overhauls at the farm doing things. Of course, we never see that in the movie. Incredible. And uh, so there are pictures of that on Cape Wonder, but that is one of the movie mysteries that took a little while for me to solve and found out it was Bob Penn, the set photographer, who just took a ton of stills. And then they just realized that it was going to slow down the pace of the movie too much, and it was scrapped. But uh, these little boys, I've got all their names, and I'm still looking for them. But they were, uh, from what I understand, they're all locals like Aaron and Travis were. You said earlier, Jim, you know, we're blessed of the, you know, to, for the, to have had the photographers there to take these images in the first place. But we're also blessed to have you, that it was you that bought these uh, incredible images, these incredible um, uh, artifacts uh, from the film, and that you have spent the last 20 years sharing them with all of us and the amount of information that we have all learned through you. And I just want to say on behalf of everybody, on behalf of myself and Rob and all our listeners and your own listeners on the on, on your podcast, thank you so much for, for taking the time and effort to do that. Well, absolutely, it, it's uh, a real honor for me, to a privilege for me to be able to do it. And that was my goal at the very beginning is I, I can't hold on to this and not share it. And I'd already loved to scan and restore photos at that point. I'd been doing it for a while. And I knew it was important for me to be a good custodian of this material. And that's what we are really, our temporary custodians of this material. It doesn't matter what the collectibles are. And photography being near and dear to my heart, I I felt uh, a sense, a big sense of responsibility owning this stuff because... I didn't think there were too many copies of it anywhere else. Now, I didn't get everything, but I got a huge chunk of it. There are a few other collectors around that have uh, some contact sheets and things like that, and they've shared them, and I've seen some of them. So I'm just very uh, grateful that this stuff did not end up in the trash can because back then, a lot of it did. There was no purpose in keeping these notes or continuity Polaroids or scraps of, of stuff. And, and among this production info are some amazing letters that Richard Donner wrote to the cast and crew that are so heartfelt. This guy had a huge heart and having gotten to know him uh, was just an unbelievable experience. This big booming voice, he'd give you hugs and he was just a, a, a very um, sensitive, big feeling person. And, he, and his sense of responsibility that he felt that weighed on him was the same as Chris Reeve. I've got to do this character justice. Yeah. And uh, so it's been a lot of fun archiving all of this. And I haven't even scanned everything. It's just uh, a very time-consuming thing. I mean, I fall yeah. into it, and I, the whole world disappears, and I do it in spurts. I'll say, okay, I'm going to focus on Superman 2 today. And I'll scan some slides, scan some prints, 
And the beautiful thing about doing high-res scans is, and, and I only scan in very high resolution because you can always make them smaller, can't always make them bigger, is that you can zoom way in and do some very refined retouching, but you can also see some very fine details. Yeah. For instance, contact sheets. There are, there, are, there are prints that have very small images on them from the strips of negatives. And the main reason they were produced is for an art director to decide which pictures are we going to use which ones are we going to reject? And I have some with red uh, grease pencil X's through the images that say, oh, we're definitely not using these. The actor's got their eyes closed. It doesn't look right, whatever the reason. So you get to see the progression of filming because of the order of these contact sheets. That's also helped me a lot on finding out what order they filmed everything. So many things were going on simultaneously. Yeah. So being able to come up with a chronology that makes sense is really, really challenging because this stuff is not all in one nice, neat place. It's kind of scattered all over the U.S. or all over the world. So it's fun. It's fun to archive and it's fun to learn something new. And I've learned so much from everybody else because they'll look at something a little differently and go, isn't that so-and-so? And I'll go, well, I'll be. I, I didn't notice that before. But I am yeah. always discovering something new. I'll put this stuff away. For a while, I'll, I'll pull out a binder and start flipping through, and I, I pull out my loop, which is a magnifier, and I'll start looking through these contact sheets, and I'll find something else. Like, not too long ago, I discovered a picture where they were taping a battery to Gene Hackman's leg to run the wire up his clothes for the kryptonite chain. Ah, very good. So that's an in-camera light. That's not an optical effect. And that battery is huge. So he has to walk with it on it strapped to his leg. You just think about what they had to do back then. Do you know what the secret to that is, uh, Jim? <laughs> What's that? Mind over muscle. Mind over <laughs> muscle. That's exactly what Superman pulled on the villains, didn't he? You may, you may not uh, know that uh, Richard Donner gave me his verisimilitude sign to photograph and archive. Oh, yes, yes. And um, I was in his office talking to him in Beverly Hills one day, and above his desk was the sign, and it was just hanging on a nail in the sunshine in the window. And I said, Dick, I want to do something for you. I said, your veris verisimilitude sign, I know how much it means to you. I said, and I, I just went for it. It's the old, if you don't ask, you don't get, or you don't know. I said, why don't you let me take that home? I will scan it and photograph it, and then I will put it in an archival shadow box with UV acrylic, and you never, ever have to worry about it fading or having dust exposure or any of that from now on, and if you want to go hang it somewhere else or whatever you need to do with it, now it's completely protected, not knowing what he would say. And he said, okay, and I was floored. He said, but I'd only let you do it. And if you don't bring it back, I'm going to call Jack O'Halloran to come after you. <laughs> and, I, and I laughed and I said, I got Jack right here, wrapped around my finger. I said, Jack doesn't have a chance. So I had it about three weeks. And I brought it home and I put it in Chris Reeves' director's chair. And I photographed it and I photographed it in my studio. And then I scanned it and, and I uh, put it in the shadow box, had my framer do all that and brought it back to him. He was thrilled with it, and he since has had it on display in the Academy and all of that. But um, I'm really pleased with how it turned out, and, and the fact that I had that opportunity, again, was just another 
extraordinary experience, guys. I can't tell you how 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 I protected that thing while I had yeah. it. And it's so it your your type of fandom, Jim, amazes me because what you do is you take these things and you enrich them and you save them and you know so, so much of fandom is just about consumption it's about buying things it's about owning things and it's about bragging that you own things whereas everything you're doing is you know saving things archiving them sharing them with everyone and ensuring that they can be enjoyed by generations of you're the indiana That's jones beautiful. of superman <laughs> Absolutely. it's really important to me that if people are going to make the effort and they're going to spend their hard-earned money to to buy and acquire things, whether they're props or toys, that they do their best to take care of them yeah. or find someone who can. And that means an investment of, of some money for, for instance, photographs, having acid-free pages and binders to protect them and put them away, get them out of light and dust. It's the same way with props. So if you own costumes or whatever, it's really important that you learn how to take good care of them if you don't know. And that's what I love exchanging with other fans is, well, how do I do that? Should I be wearing white gloves? I said, anytime you handle something that you can put your oils from your fingers on, like fabric, like a costume, a cape, whatever it is, these are inexpensive. They're cotton gloves. Put them on. And that's the yeah. way uh, you, you take care of this stuff. You don't want to just put it away and never pull it out and never be able to look at it and enjoy it. You want to be able to do that. One of my, one of my prized, um, a piece that I love, like I, I don't have any screen use props from the movie or anything, but the, you had, uh, he, his name escapes me now, but you had a chap on the podcast um, early on who, um, uh, Superman capes, he made Superman capes. And you were speaking about him and I contacted him and he made me one of those beautiful custom made Christopher Reeve capes. And I love I love it. So Isn't much. it nice? His name is Greg Thomas. Greg, that's it. And that's Greg's right. going to come to Motor City. I've oh, known yeah. Greg a while and I've never met him, but his work is phenomenal. When it arrived and I opened it up and I have it in storage, I'm, I'm building a house at the moment. Oh, oh I saw your pictures. In- yeah, yeah. And I have everything in storage at the moment. But when I opened it up and I saw the quality of it and how screen accurate it was, I, I was floored by it. Yeah, it's really remarkable, the research he's done. And yeah. since I've had an opportunity to photograph some of the real deal, I've sent him photographs and he's made sure he has the stitching just right and the fabrics. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It, yeah. It, it's outstanding. And I have a lot to thank you for. Uh, I wouldn't have bought that Mackinac um Mackinac um, brochure without your advice. Uh, I have the the Superman cape from Greg. My Mark Pillow autograph came directly from Cape to Wonder podcast. That's right. Uh, so so thank you so much for for all of that. All well, of you're welcome. That Mark Pillow uh, thing was really fun. I we'd it never was... done anything like that before. We got great response. Uh, I I want to hear your thoughts because we, we've seen you, we've heard you talk a lot about obviously the Donner years. We we touched on George Reeves earlier on. I know you've I I've listened to your Superboy episode. So those three are off limits right now. We're not allowed to talk about those. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the other versions of Superman that have come since? So Lois and Clark, the animated series, the various movies, the new show. What what how have you interacted with these? Have you interacted with them? Have they had any kind of an impression on you at all? Well, let's go back before George Reeves, the Flesher cartoons I'm a huge fan of. And I would like to see a proper restoration done of all of those. They're beautiful. What we've seen so far is, in my opinion, not a proper restoration. Uh, So I'd like to see that happen. Love those. 
I love that time period. I love the nostalgia, the golden age look and feel of it all. Mm. Um, th those I'll, I will go back to fairly often. Uh, I was a little old for Super Friends. In fact, Super Friends debuted on my 12th birthday. So that was pretty exciting. And Star Trek debuted on my fifth birthday. 12 is not too old for cartoons. No. I'm 37. No. And I love cartoons. <laughs> no. I, I was, it's a bit old for Super Friends, though. But, but, but yeah, I was, I was kind of on to other things. I was doing a lot of yeah. Boy Scout stuff and that kind of thing. But uh, I was. Women. <laughs> yeah, at 12, I was still figuring them out. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was, my eye was on them more than ever. So, yeah, that was about sixth or seventh grade. Um, love the animated series. I'd been watching the Batman animated series off and on. I, I missed a lot of it because I was just working so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Supergirl, I didn't see opening weekend because I was in Honduras living in the mountains. I was an officer in the Army. I was gone. I missed Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I missed uh, Star Trek, the search for Spock. They were all come and go, and I was in another country. But um, after that animated series, I loved the Justice League animated series, I think is very good. Particularly yeah. uh, Justice League. The Unlimited was fine, but I'd prefer the first. Lois and Clark, I definitely was intrigued by that. Um, I thought they gave a nice, honest... Um, it, it, was, it was fun, and I really liked Dean Cain's Clark Kent the most, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think he was a good Superman, but I really enjoyed the interaction with Terry and Dean in that film. Yeah. Nice seeing some, uh, some familiar faces, some cameos out of that. So I, I watched most of those episodes. I was into the Flash TV, TV series yes. with John Wesley yeah. Shipp. They kept Big moving the, that here. Yeah, they kept yeah. moving it around on the time slots, and then it went away, and that was really unfortunate. But um, what do we have after that? We've got, of course, The Man of Steel. We've got Brandon yeah. Ralph. Superman Returns. Super Smallville. Smallville. Um, believe it or not, I've only seen two seasons of Smallville and the Christopher Reeve episodes. Tom and Mike, uh, Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling are both really sweet guys. Um, yeah. I've met them at uh, Motor City in the past. They're real fan favorites. A very yeah. popular show, but I, I did not get into it as much. I did enjoy seeing Annette O'Toole again. I yes. like yeah, John Snyder. Role, yeah. John Snyder's great. I thought the cast yeah. was great. Um, I like Superman much about Superman returns. I think Brandon Routh is a really neat guy. Yeah. Big Chris Reeve fan. His heart is in the right place with that part. He yeah. embraces it. He understands the responsibility. I've talked to him about that. Um, and watching him, I got to watch him watch the Donner cut at the Hollywood premiere. I was sitting one oh, row wow. back. Uh, the Hollywood pr premiere of the Donner Cut was in 2006 at the Directors Guild of America in Hollywood. And Donner was there and Margot and Sarah, the whole, the whole cast was there. And Brandon came and he was in the row right in front of me. And I looked over a few times. He was glued to the screen, completely captivated by Chris Reeve like we are. Uh, so there was, there was, that's amazing. That's not a film I watch too often. I thought there was another film for Brandon. And I know yeah. he wanted another film that was much more action-packed. I didn't know where they were going to go with the little Superboy. Yeah. Did they write themselves yeah. in a corner with that? I didn't know. Yes. <laughs> um, I, you know, there were some other things I didn't like about it. Love the shot of him lifting the, uh, the ship out of the water. There were some yes. really neat moments. That's my favorite Superman moment is when he's lifting the ship and the music swells up. It's an incredible scene. 
great. And when his his feet slam down onto the metal, then he yep. rips the rips the cover off. That, that that's those little moments for me really really worked. When he fell back out of the plane, I have to leave. Um, there's yeah. some really great moments in that film, and um, but I haven't rewatched it in a long time. You know what I really love about that film though was the cut opening scene going back to the remnants of Krypton. Mm. You've seen that in his ship. In the deleted, I've seen the deleted scenes, but I, I can't believe that 15 years later, they haven't included those scenes into the film mm-hmm. and released a director's cut or, you know, mm-hmm. a, a longer edit of that. That was, that was well done. I thought pretty, pretty nicely done. I like the look yeah. of that. Um, and then we go on to Man of Steel, Batman and Superman. And uh, is it supposed to be called Batman v Superman or Super Batman yeah, versus Batman Super- v Superman? Okay. Yeah. And then the Justice Leagues. Now, I thought the the uh, the HBO Justice League with the black costume, I preferred that over the theatrical. But yeah. frankly, I'm not a big fan of either one or any of those three films. Uh, I like Henry a lot. Um, yeah. I think they need more of an actor's director to direct him in the dual role. Yeah. No discredit to Henry at all. I think he's got it in him. But you need a director, and this is no knock of Zach, because I like some of Zach's work. 300, Legend of the Guardians, the the owl animated film is very nice. Uh, But as you know, Richard Donner was very much an actor's director. Yeah. And Margot Kidder talked at great length about how he would direct you for how you needed to be directed, each person being very different your discipline, what you needed, what you didn't need. So I think that's really what Henry needs. I guess I'm just so used to the contrast between Clark and Superman that Chris Reeve brought to the screen so naturally, that was so believable, that made it for once, uh, made the ability to distinguish or not being able to tell it's the same guy so real, just from mannerisms and posture and all of that sort of thing. We had Dan Reba on the podcast recently, who was a director of the Superman the Animated Series. I'm not sure if you know this, but he told us that they used to directly send episodes once they had finished directly to Richard Donner's office because Richard was such a fan of the series that he wanted the, the tape straight away that he could he could watch them. So it's great that he kept with the with the Superman character, you know, decades after the films had finished um jim it's it's been great having you on i I know i know you have a major major event coming up at motor city comic con could you just tell us quickly about that and and what's happening for anybody who might be interested to go we'd love to go it's a little bit far for us at the moment i'm afraid um but uh, it's it's a a fantastic and fantastic uh, event a fantastic lineup of of superman uh, related guests from all all the movies superman superman you know two superman four it's it's fantastic can you can you just tell our listeners a little bit about that Sure, I can. As as a lot of you may know, I do a podcast with Jay Towers, who's the most popular uh, radio personality and, and a Fox newscaster who's so um, beloved in, in the Detroit, Michigan area and all over the U.S., really. He and I first came together in 2015 for WonderCon, and as you know, we had a lot of great guests there, and so we decided yeah. to do something like this again. Now, we've done Motor City twice in 2018 and 19. But this time we wanted to honor the whole legacy and we wanted to bring in actors who had all had scenes with Christopher Reeve as Superman. So that's the common denominator with all of these people. 
And then with Superman 78 comic book series coming out, we, Jay said to, to me, he says, why don't we get the writer and the artist to join us because they're now part of this Reeve legacy. So we called it mm. the Christopher Reeve legacy reunion. And all of these actors are very sweet people. They're very nice. We've not met a, a few of them, but we've had lots of great conversations. So we're going to have the Christopher Reeve legacy reunion at Motor City Comic Con in Novi, Michigan, May 13th through 15th of this year. We've got Aaron Smolinski, Mark McClure, Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man, nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Oh, I'd love to be there. Yeah. Mariel Hemingway. Mariel Hemingway, by the way. I've never heard her talk about Superman 4. That's amazing. It's a great get. Well, <laughs> she is a very nice lady. And then uh, uh, we've got uh, Jack and Sarah, of course. They're fan favorites, and they adore each other. We've got them sitting together. They're, they're, they're really funny and really gracious people. Great stories. And then, of course, Wilfredo Torres and Robert Venditti from Superman 78. Now, what's very cool about this is we uh, have DC Comics working with us on this and the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. So what we've put together is we are going to be offering a special variant cover of issue number one of Superman 78. And this variant cover is honoring Christopher Reeve and it's honoring Detroit. So wait until you see this cover. And then, I can't tell you any details about the interior, but we have negotiated with DC to include 12 special pages inside the book that I designed, except the Christopher Reeve uh, piece, uh, the foundation piece. Uh, we've got an approval. We just got the pages approved two days ago. So there's going to be 12 special pages inside that I know people are going to want to pick this up. There's only going to be 3,000 copies, and it's only going to be available at Motor City. The beauty of it is, is you can get all the actors, the writer, and the artist to autograph it. Yeah. And we can't wait to offer this. We have no idea. Is it going to sell out? Will we have any left after? A lot of people have been asking me, but of course we don't know. But I hope it's a real yeah. um, big success because this is something I, I don't think has ever been done for, this, uh, for the Reeve legacy before. So that's and something really special for us. And you've even found Jeremy from Superman 4. Yes. I've Jeremy from Superman 4 is going to be there. Oh, my God. Damien McLawhorn. Yes, we had I, Damien I on our podcast. Yeah. yeah, I listened to it. It was a great episode. He's a great guy. He, uh, he's kind of a jet setter. He's all over the place, uh, traveling the world all the time. Really happy. I'll tell you someone who could do some good. Right. <laughs> he was a, uh, he was a, a military brat. His, his dad was stationed. I believe it was the Air Force in uh, in Europe, and that's why. Uh, and they went after. Um, they went to his school. They wanted an American child actor, or an American actor. He really wasn't an actor at all, and they picked him. Yeah. And the rest is history. But he did not pursue an acting career. He went on to other that's things. Amazing. So and for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode yeah. of Cape Wonder Superman podcast, I'd highly recommend it because he's got some great uh, stories. And you forget, like, I mean. He, he flew with Chris, you know, he's one of yeah. the few who flew with Chris, you know, it didn't make it into the final cut, but it's there in the, in, in, in the deleted scenes. He did. And he talks a, a great deal about flying with Chris. And that's the neat thing is we've got all these actors coming who have flown with Chris, Jack, Sarah, Mark McClure, yeah. of course, Mark's in, in uh, Supergirl too. Yeah. And in justice league, you know, he had two different yeah, yeah. scenes he went to Pinewood and shot the uh, scenes where uh, Lois gives him the coffee first. 
Then he went back to Pinewood under the other director and did the prison scene where the flash draws on the guy's face. So that's pretty unique, and we're going to talk about that too. But yeah, they all those guys flew with him, and that's really exciting to talk about. And Damien's got some stories that we didn't even uh, get to put on the podcast. So they're all great storytellers, and we're thrilled they're all going to be there with us. And and we want the fans to have a really, really fantastic time. It sounds like it's going Jim, to be incredible. Would you promise me one thing? Um, would you come back on All Star Superfan? Whenever you're ready, you just send me a message or call me. I'll send you my cell phone. It's probably less expensive to just message me. <laughs> but just let me know because you guys are doing a great thing. I love how you cover so much, and, and, and it's just a great variety. So thank you for doing thank what you. you're doing and keeping Superman flying. And thank you for the support, Jim, and the supportive messages. And uh, you you um, recorded a Christmas message for the podcast on our Christmas episode. And it, it, it's been so great having you on and, and talking and chatting. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Jim. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Rob. And Rob, I'll expect to see that some pictures of the beard and uh, some <laughs> some video clips. We can arrange it. Terrence Stamp is my only impression, Jim. So don't is worry. that the only one? Well, that's a good one. No, no don't, don't open that barrel. Don't, <laughs> oh, no. don't, don't, don't. I, I can't, I can't do any of them. I, I can act like Jimmy Olsen, but that's about it. Rob, yeah, do you I, want to take us? Out? Do you want to take us out? Once again, we'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Superfan. Follow us on Twitter at All Star Super Pod. Send us your strongly worded letters as to why you should be let out of the Phantom Zone to allstarsuperpod at gmail.com and we will read your correspondence on the air. Please do get in touch. Let us know your thoughts and feelings on all the exciting topics we have discussed with the wonderful Mr. Jim Bowers. Uh, Alan, it's been a fantastic episode. It has. Um, it's been great. Another fantastic guest. I just want to thank, I want to get back into the habit of thanking Sean Allen for our amazing team song. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast or for coming on the podcast. We can't, cannot wait to have you back. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I appreciate both of you so very much. So keep this going because you've got a great thing going on. I know the fans must love it. So the more we do, the better. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody stay safe, stay super and take care. Bye-bye.